0: Good morning, friends. My name is Thomas. I get to be on staff here at Calvary and to serve as a communicator of God's Word with you on the weekends. And the last couple weeks, I had the opportunity to go teach and preach in both Boulder and Thornton. And it is a joy to go to Boulder and to visit the campus and the men and women and families that helped plant us, that really planted this church. Uh, many many years ago and then be able to go out to Thornton and see the campus that we all with Boulder got to plant together and to see them worshiping so that we get to see that we are one we are one church in many locations and to be able to celebrate with the people of God but it is great to be with friends in Boulder and Thornton it is wonderful to be home on the Erie campus i miss you whenever i'm gone but we're going to continue in our series this we believe for what we believe really matters what we believe in impacts how we behave how we live and what we believe about God is paramount and so it's great that we've I've been set up with two weeks where pastor Tom and Zach were able to come out and begin to unpack how God has chosen to reveal himself as one God in three persons father son and spirit and today we're gonna look at the spirit of God probably one of the more ambiguous parts of the Godhead and I want to begin by asking this question in your time of need where do you go for help in your time of need where do you go for help perhaps in part to answer that would would be dependent on your life stage so if you're one of the young kids in the room, elementary school, when, when you're in need, whether you have a skinned knee, whether you're sad or if you're scared at night, where do you go for help? Mom and dad, right? You run to mom and dad for comfort, for security, for help. But then you kind of grow up and you, you hit the middle school years and then high school. And the most unusual thing happens in middle school and high school. You become the smartest human being on the planet. <laughs> and your parents simultaneously become the stupidest people you've ever met. And so you no longer rush to your parents for help and for guidance. Where do you go? Friends, oh friends, the other super smart people in your life that know everything. You run to your friends for guidance and help, and then you find out that friends disappoint you as well. And then you you enter your young adult years, maybe it's college or post-college, and all these relationships with both family and friends have produced wounds in your life. And so now as a young adult, where do you go for help? You're therapist, yeah. You, you start going to paid professionals, right? And As a young adult, you find out that adulting is really you acquiring paid professionals in your time of need. So when you have financial needs, you recruit a financial advisor. When you have counseling or relational needs, you go find a counselor, maybe a pastor. When you have legal issues, you get yourself a lawyer. And so maybe the better question to ask isn't where do you go in your time of need, but to whom do you go? Whenever we're in a time of need and we need help, we go to someone. Now, the saddest situation that some people in this room are living is that you don't trust anyone except for yourself. And so the only person you trust and will go to is you but you are still a person. When we have needs, when we need help, we always go to a someone, which often is the reason that many Christians don't immediately go to God because they view God as a something, especially with the spirit. Barna did a survey many years ago surveying evangelical Christians in America about certain beliefs, and one of them was pertaining to their belief of the Holy Spirit. And what Barna found out is that amongst professing Christians in the United States, the majority do not believe the Holy Spirit to be a person, but to be a symbol or a force or something altogether other spiritual. But the Bible does not say that about the Spirit. The Bible does not teach that the Spirit is an it. The Bible teaches that a Spirit is a who, a he, the active person of God. And so the simplest definition that I wanna give you today as we launch into this is if someone were to ask you, who is the Holy Spirit? You would be able to respond with this one simple sentence. The Spirit is the personal, presence of the all-powerful God he is the personal you know him presence with you power of God he's not an it a force or a symbol he's the person the third person of the triune God in whom we should rush to in our time of need So let's start by going to John 16. John 16 is a time in which the disciples are in a time of need. Jesus has told them some really disturbing news. And if we were one of his disciples, we would be filled with sorrow and questions and anger. Maybe we might even feel betrayed. If we heard Jesus tell us he's leaving and you cannot come with me. Jesus just told his disciples that there's coming a time in which trouble, hardship is going to come upon them. Persecution is going to come upon them because they follow Jesus. And he's leaving and they can't come with him. And if you've been following Jesus for three years and he's become the person that you run to in any time of trouble, when there's a storm and you're in a boat, you cry out to Jesus. When you see the demonic at work, you cry out to Jesus. When there's a multitude of people that need to be fed, you go to Jesus. And now he's saying he's leaving you. Would you feel abandoned? Would you feel angry, disturbed, filled with sorrow? That's probably how the disciples feel. This is John chapter 16, verse six. Jesus says, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send, not it, I will send him to you. So here's Jesus telling him, I'm breaking some news for you. I'm going to be leaving. You can't follow. But, but it's advantageous. Like, it's to your advantage, it's to your prophet that I go, for I'm going to send you the helper. You see, God's going to send his spirit to his followers so that they can continue to follow him. You were not called to follow Jesus or try to do this Christian life on your own. You're called to do it with the helper. Many Christians are very frustrated being a Christian And find a lot of failure in their faith because they're trying to do it on their own power, their own abilities, their own insights. And that's not how God created it to be. Jesus is not the beginning of a Kickstarter campaign. Like, all right, I got it going. You wrap it up, see in heaven. No, he says, okay, I I have initiated this work and then I give you God himself, the helper, to be with you. And, and, and it's to your advantage, because here's Jesus with 12, 72, 500 witnesses at one point after his resurrection. But I'm going to put the presence of God in every person, in every single person that follows me. I'm going to put the spirit. So it's to your advantage, because he is called the helper. He's going to help us. So when you have a need, know that God has given you himself to be your helper, to be your helper. Verse eight, and when he comes, this is what he's gonna do, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the spirit that's gonna be your helper, is gonna do this work in the world. He's gonna be the one who convicts the world. And he's gonna convict the world of three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, how, how people have rejected Jesus. Concerning righteousness, about that God views Jesus as the righteous one, that he goes to be at the right hand of the Father, the righteous position. Where he belongs, and concerning judgment, that this world in its waywardness will be judged. Now, if that's the role of the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about this for a second. There are people that you love that don't know or embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior yet. Are you trying to be their Holy Spirit? Remember, nobody got nagged to the cross, and you can't condemn somebody to embrace Jesus. If there's someone that you love, perhaps it's time to recognize whose work it is to bring conviction in their life and to convince them that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and he has done the things that history has said that he's done and to in, their, in his kindness woo them into relationship. And so if there are those in your life, I have people in my life I, I can't be their Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit, and it's his role, and so I pray, what I pray is, Father, in your love towards them, would you use the Holy Spirit to convict them? Now, conviction is very different than, than condemnation. Well, how do you know it's the Spirit's activity in your life? Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus right now, and you wanna know, is that the Spirit's activity? Well, the voice of the, of the Father through the Spirit is conviction. Conviction is different than condemnation. If, if as a believer, you hear this voice, you dummy, you're so worth it. You did this again? Man, God's gonna be so upset with you. You shouldn't even show up at church. You should just leave this whole thing alone. The church would be better without you. That's not the voice of the Spirit. Conviction is not condemnation. Conviction is this You don't want this in your life, do you? Aren't you exhausted? find rest with me come find freedom here you know what you're doing is not right will not benefit you it's only produce shame and guilt come be free that sounds like the voice of the father and so the voice of the spirit is to bring conviction in sin in righteousness and in judgment Now Jesus, after this teaching, goes to the cross, is crucified, buried, three days later he resurrects from the grave and for 40 days he's just showing himself off to all of these people, witnesses, 500 people at one time to see and touch and hear the living Jesus Christ and then just before his departure he gathers his disciples in and calls them to be witnesses of these things. But do not begin to be witnesses. Do not try to go be Christians apart from the Spirit. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. This is a reference back to John 16. For John baptized with water. This word baptized just means to be immersed in, to be identified with To be united with. So John did this with water. But you will be baptized, united, identified, immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so they're gathered up in this upper room and they're praying and they're just waiting for the promised helper to come. And then the most crazy thing happens is like God shows up. And what sounds like this wind shows up in this room. And then they, they see what appears to be like little tongues of fire amongst everybody's head, which if you know your Bible, fire shows up. It's like the presence of God. So here is the personal presence of the all powerful God on each one of them. And then they start speaking to one another and all of these foreigners hear the gospel in their own language. And, and some by pastors are going, what is happening? And one person who's walking by is like, ah, they're drunk. And so Peter gets up and he says, guys, fellow fellow friends, Israelites, gather in. What you're observing here is what God promised he would do. And he, and he quotes the prophet Joel. There's other places in Amos and Ezekiel, you can look at this, where God promises to pour out his spirit on his people at the end of the days. He says, that's what's happened here. God has poured out his spirit. People are not drunk. It's way too early in the morning. What you're seeing is the personal presence All-powerful God. And then he opens up and he gives the very first sermon ever. And look at three things that Peter announces. You can just see that Peter is not speaking on his own accord. He is speaking under the influence of the Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you know yourselves. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So convicting of their sin and their rejection of Jesus. You rejected Jesus. That's the first thing in his message. Down in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing concerning righteousness, that Jesus goes to be with the Father. Check out verse 40. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. This world is judged So, you can see, is the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would come to do this kind of work is doing that in the very first moments with Peter to convict the world of its sin, its rejection of Jesus, righteousness in the exaltation of Christ, and judgment of this world. There's Peter. And what you see is that the Holy Spirit is active through his preaching, and the congregation that's listening goes, What do we do? Like, we rejected the Messiah. God's promised one. What should we do? They're convicted. Perhaps you've been in your life convicted. What do you do? This is what Peter says. Chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do you do? You need to turn your life over to Jesus. What do you need? You need forgiveness of sins. What did Jesus come to do? Forgive sins. You receive the Son of God, the work of Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. And here's the most amazing thing. When you repent, We we turn from living your life as though you're the Lord, and you turn over and say, Jesus, you be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of the ways in which I have lived wayward. Would you be my Lord? When you receive the Son's forgiveness, you also receive the Spirit of God. Do you see that? Repent and believe in the Son that you might receive the Spirit. At that moment, you're going to receive the Spirit of God. He's going to be the mark that you belong to God. And so what do you do when there's conviction? When the Spirit brings conviction to your life? Turn to Jesus. Ask to be forgiven. Repent. Call him Lord. That's the response. And this, this turning into Jesus and receiving the Spirit is a work of God. The Holy Spirit is God. Peter goes to great lengths in Acts to help people understand What the Old Testament had kind of concealed, but now has been revealed in Christ. And one of those things is the deity of the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 5, we have this beginning story of the church. And whenever a church is started, there's some crazy stories. It's like people be crazy, people are wild, things happen. And one of those things came with this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Acts chapter 5 records that there are all these people that, that are wanting to give gifts to the church. And some, some of these people are selling possessions and taking the, those resources and bringing it to the church to care for widows and orphans and people in their time of need so that no one who belonged to the church would have any financial need unmet. Well, Ananias and Sapphira had a, had a plot of land. Maybe it was one of many. But they decided that they were going to sell it and participate. But when they sold it, it was quite a large amount of money, it must have been. And they could choose to keep all of it. God's not requiring that they give the money to the church. They could choose to give a portion of it. No big deal. But what they choose to do is to give a portion of it and then tell everyone they gave all of it. So they get like the pats on the back from their friends. And in Acts chapter 5, Peter confronts them with this teaching about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did not it remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Like, you can do whatever you want. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to whom? God. Did you get this? Ananias, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Why would you lie to God? So not only is the Holy Spirit a person, he is God. He is the third person of the triune God. And we see in the, in the New Testament that so many of these texts are Trinitarian, especially when it talks about our salvation. Oftentimes we, we review our salvation as the work of Jesus alone. Like I'm saved by Jesus, the Son of God, whom the Father sent. But really, it's the work of the whole Godhead on our behalf. One of, a clear, one of the clearest teachings of this is in Titus. This is Paul writing to a young mentee named Titus, chapter 3, verse 4. Paul says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our, sa- our Savior, appeared. So the, the first thing is what is God's attitude towards you in sin? Like, what does he think about you? Well, in the moment in which he sends his son, Jesus, look, it's when the goodness and loving kindness of God, the salvation is is produced from his goodness and loving kindness. He doesn't look up there in heaven and go, oh, man, Thomas. Man, I just, I really don't like him. I really hope he just, just goes to hell. Like he says, man, in his goodness, and in his kindness, he looks at you and sends you his son. In his goodness and kindness, salvation comes out of his goodness and kindness. Our Savior appeared and he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of our own good doings, our own accolades, accomplishments, but according to his own mercy. And get this, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Like you've been regenerated, made new, brought from death to life by the work of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So in the goodness and kindness of the Father, he sends us his Son, who allows the Spirit to regenerate us. You see, our whole salvation is in the Godhead, the work of Father, Son, and Spirit. All three as one working in salvation. We don't separate them. Three in one. The Spirit is a person and the third person of the triune Godhead. And so many of these texts, when we look at them at first glance, we just, we just see Jesus pop out But have eyes to see the Father's activity, the Son's activity, and the Spirit's activity. Now, what is it that the Spirit does? Well, there's a lot of things that the Spirit does. I'm going to take 15 minutes and just build a frame of reference for you. We're going to look at who the Spirit is and what He does today. And next week, we're going to look at what does it look like in a person's life when the Spirit of God takes up residence in their life? Like what's, what's produced through them? What's changed in them? How does that come about? But today we're going to look more at who and what the Spirit does. So I just grabbed a bunch of, of texts that can help build us a frame. And we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and he simply says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when were you sealed? When you believed This isn't like many months later at a special service when you believed the gospel, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of its glory. So the the Spirit is given to you at the moment of belief as the guarantee, the down payment that you will inherit eternal life. What's the guarantee that you're going to make it in your faith? I I don't know if you're like me, but I have like ups and downs where I'm like, Jesus, you're the realest thing in my life. Jesus, you're for real, right? Jesus, you're the realest thing in my life. Man, I hope Jesus is real, right? What's the guarantee you make it is that he gave you, sealed you with his spirit as the down payment so that you will inherit what you have believed in. He's he's doing that work. And then not only does he he seal you, but check this out, he actually then indwells you. This is Paul writing to a church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter six. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Now, temple, that is amazing language. When you look at temple language of of God dwelling with his people, you go back to the Old Testament, and, and the first one is the tabernacle, a portable tent in which God used in the days of Moses through the days of David to be the presence of a worship service. And then it became a permanent residence under Solomon and then rebuilt after the exile for God to dwell amongst his people. Now, where does God himself say is the temple, the residence of God in us? Like we could meditate on that for several months, that God takes up residence, dwells in us. Now what happens in temples? What's supposed to happen in temples? Worship, like worship services happen in temples. And so if God, who sealed you, now dwells in you as the temple, the worship center of God, let me just ask you, how's the worship of the temple going? For where I go with my feet, and what I do with my hands, and what I meditate on with my mind, and the websites I look at with my eyes, and the music and podcasts I listen to with my ears. Are all part of the worship service of my life how pure is the worship service going and if you're like me man this is convicting not condemning like you dummy but convicting come come experience more freedom and so he not only seals us and dwells us that we get to be the worship center of God But then he's actually going to gift us. Paul later goes on in chapter 12. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Simply put, you're all really unique and cool. And God in his grace has gifted you and empowered you in a unique way that embraces how God has made you with your personality, with your interests, with what your heart beats for, so that we would be able to serve Christ and serve one another and build one another up. He gives us gifts, not to be used to elevate ourselves, but in service to one another. What he's saying is, you're gifted in a unique way that I need you to know how you're gifted and then for you to actually live in your gifting for my benefit. And you want me to know my gifting and to serve you in my area of gifting to your benefit. And so it's this mutual service in the gifting that God has given us that's empowered by God as well. This is not your own strength, your own cleverness. This is the work of God in your life in my life so he he seals us he dwells in us he gifts us and then he's like working with us this is amazing for if you this is Romans 8:13 for if you live according to the flesh you'll die so if you're in the just the flesh there's death but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for all who are led by the spirit of god are sons or daughters or children of god He leads us. Remember, one of the activities of the Spirit is to remind us what Jesus taught. This happens to me a thousand times a day. I don't know if this ever happened in your marriage. Maybe not. But I get into a conflict with my wife. And from time to time, they get rather heated. Not because of her, but because of me. And I'm getting kind of angry. And I'm just waiting to just lay out my argument passionately. And then I'm reminded be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness, the freedom, the life that God wants for you. And so I, at that moment, I have an opportunity. Here's the Spirit leading me in life. Do You want more life in your marriage? Yeah. Be quick to listen, Thomas. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. You're not going to produce the righteousness of God in your marriage if you're always yelling. And so this is how the Spirit leads in so many areas. Be generous. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Give it away. Give your time away. Be humble. Be kind. It's like, oh, these are the reminders of who Christ is. He's leading us. And we we have the opportunity to choose to be led and follow into more and more life or to say, no, I'm not doing that. I want my rights. I want to be right. I want to be heard and to experience more and more death and frustration. So he leads us. And not only does he lead us because sometimes it gets really hard. This is where it gets really good. He actually intercedes for us. This is Romans eight going on in verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When I hear that, I just think of my kids in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. They have unlimited access to me. To be able to come in? And they most often, when they were really young, came in with no words except for groans. So at two o'clock in the morning, you'd be sleeping, and you'd hear, ah, like, oh my gosh, something's wrong in my room. What's up? You know, it's like, Matthew, are you okay? Jack, are you okay? Ah, uh, I don't feel good. It's like, tell me, use words, what's happening, ah. Uh. And I think there's times we are to be reminded that, that our Heavenly Father has given you unlimited 2 a.m. any time of the day access to him to just show up with groans. I just need help. I don't even know what to say. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how to get out of this mess. Ugh, I, I hurt and I don't want to be here anymore. And the Spirit interprets that. Father, this is what they need. Be gracious to them care for them in this way i love it he's the helper remember he's the helper to bring about the life that god has called us to live there are so many great things but what's most important is that you cannot be a christian apart from having the spirit in that same chapter paul just simply says romans 8 9 you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of god dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of christ does not belong to him. You see that? It's not like, oh man, I'm a Christian, I hope I get the Spirit someday. No, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't have God. And if you're wondering, remember, how how do you get the Spirit? Remember what what Peter said. Repent and believe in the Son of God and you receive the Spirit of God. They're not two different, they're they're one and the same, the Spirit of Christ. You see that in the text? There's the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ that dwells in you. It's one and the same the person of God. This is why John Stott simply says, it would be impossible to be a Christian, let alone to live and grow as a Christian without the ministry of the gracious Spirit of God. And so if if you didn't have a framework for who the Spirit is, this is just simply an elementary foundation of who God has made himself to be in his personal presence of his powerful nature in us. This is why in our statement of faith, we say this, we believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners and in him, they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. If you want to know more about that, how that works, join us next week. What I want to leave you with today is simply a posture. This is a prayer that I often pray that I would love to share with you. This is a prayer of consent to the work of the Holy Spirit. You want the Spirit to convict you in your life. You want the Spirit's activity in your life. You want the fruit of the Spirit to be born in your life. And I I learned this prayer from this incredible woman. She's the mother of Jesus. Her name is Mary. If you remember Luke chapter one, Mary learns that she is going to be with child the whole, that the, 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 the God himself is going to bring the Messiah through her womb. And she's not married yet. She doesn't have any physical intimacy with her husband yet. And she simply asks a really good question. How's that happen? And she's told this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, he will be called holy, the son of God. And you remember what Mary's response is? I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. That's the prayer of consent. Is How is it possible to get out of this mess? How is it possible to change? How is it possible to leave these habits behind? How is it possible to become a more humble person, to be more patient and loving and kind? He says, oh, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't do that. Let it be done to me then. Let it be done to me. I consent. So this is my prayer that I pray. I pray in the morning. I pray anytime I'm frustrated. I'm praying anytime I'm just like up against it. This is my prayer. Heavenly Father, I consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life today. To form in me the death and resurrection of my Lord Jesus Christ. And so remember we, we began today, like, where do you go in your time of need? Where do you go for help? I want you to go to the person of God, the personal presence of the all-powerful God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, who's interceding for us, who illuminates us and guides us and shapes us, and we just simply surrender to it. And we say, Heavenly Father, in this moment, as a, as a disciple of Jesus, I consent to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life today to form in me the death and resurrection of my Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray that together. Father, thank you for giving us yourself. Father, I pray that you would be the one that teaches us and reminds us through the work of your Holy Spirit. And so we we come to you with all of our troubles in our time of need. And this is our prayer. We consent as individuals and as a community of believers to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life today to form in us the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you put that in your own words and and pray that right now? Father, I pray for my friends in this room, every man and woman, young and old. I pray that you would empower them through the Holy Spirit to follow their Lord Jesus Christ. I pray it would not be on their own strength, but by the power of God. I pray that they would sense your presence in their life in a palatable way this week. Father, I pray for those who are new to this area that God is three in one. Father, I pray that you would help them know the person of the spirit that dwells in them, that seals them, that has gifted them, that leads them and guides them, that intercedes for them, that is truly their helper. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. And hey, we're gonna close by celebrating the resurrection power